The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. The book of Leviticus, we continue to study the book of Leviticus together. We are looking at Leviticus chapter 23, verses 4 through 22 this afternoon. Leviticus 23, verses 4 through 22. Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 4, let's now hear as God Himself addresses us, His church, with His holy and inspired Word. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave, or better translated, raise or elevate the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall raise it. And on the day when you raise the sheaf, You shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheep of the elevation offering. You shall count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be raised, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall raise them with the bread of the firstfruits as as an elevation offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation 
on that same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. This concludes the reading of God's Word. May He now be pleased at His blessing to it. Well, there are certain things that are roped off, such as certain sections at Yellowstone, certain sections at a zoo. And this is obviously to protect us. It's a level of danger to walk on a smoldering cauldron or to walk into a lion's cage. It might be proved deadly. And then there are other things that are roped off for other purposes, such as at a museum where there's special paintings or sculptures, or historical sites such as in Israel where sacred spaces are roped off because of some sort of special event or relic or significance. Well, this idea of roping off is actually a way to illustrate holiness. The holiness pertains to more than just moral behavior in our actions and in our heart. Holiness refers to things being set apart. Things that are distinct, special, not like the rest. And not only does this apply to our behavior, it can apply to things such as spaces. We see space that is roped off, such as at the tabernacle, the most holy place. This is distinct. Do not enter. We saw what happened with Nadab and Abihu when they did. And there are certain people who are roped off, as it were, like the Levites. Only the tribe of Levi could serve in this roped off section called the tabernacle. And so they were to be free of certain physical deformities that we saw in chapter 21. And then there are certain animals or offerings that are roped off. Only these animals can be offered. And they need to be without deformities. And when you decide to offer this offering, that animal needs to be set apart. It cannot be used for ordinary tasks or for work. It's roped off. That's what we saw in chapters 21 and 22. I know it's been a while. We spent a month on uh, the fourth commandment. But in chapters 21 and 22, that's what we saw. We saw, we saw people and sacrifices roped off for this roped off section called the tabernacle. Well, in chapter 23, we see time that is roped off. Time that is seen as holy. Time that is seen as sacred, distinct. Not like the rest, you are to set this apart. At the head of that was the Sabbath day in verse 3. And this sacred time, this time that is roped off, not only happened during the time of Israel, it goes all the way back to the beginning. It goes to the start of creation before Moses, before the Levites before the Jews, before even sin entered into the world, God 
establish a pattern in creation of setting aside holy time. Setting aside one day in seven as sacred is not like the rest. And sacred time is about recognizing God's work. You see this throughout this chapter in Leviticus. Setting aside time, roping off sacred or special time is not just arbitrary where God says, hey, just on this day, we'll just go with that. Uh, Rather, it is in light of God's special work. So creation, at the start of creation, God finished His work. And because He finished His work, that let's have a holy day in recognition of that. Rope off this day, this time, this sacred time, in honor of what I have done. And our day, our Sabbath day in the New Testament, is we rope off the first day of the week in light of God's finished work of redemption, in light of Christ being raised from the dead. Well, we also see that in this chapter where they are roping off a certain time in light of God's work for them. And with that is also having a holy convocation. As we see here in verse 4, these are the appointed feasts for the Lord. The holy convocations. Holy convocation is mentioned 11 times in this chapter. Remember, a convocation is an assembly, is a gathering, it's public worship. Eleven times it's mentioned in this chapter on setting aside holy time. When you think of holy time, you should think of holy convocation. That is what God expects His people to do with holy time. This reveals the biblical principle that holy times call for a holy convocation for public worship. And I think this biblical principle is what has been lost in our Christian culture most recent times. You hear the phrase, all of life is worship. And we agree with that phrase as long as we are talking about whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. Our hearts are always engaged in doing things for His honor and for His glory. But with that phrase comes a theological baggage that there's no such thing as sacred time, as set-apart time, as time that is roped off. And so with that then, the fourth commandment has been rejected in our day. Or at least the holy convocation for the holy time has been seen as optional. As long as I don't got anything more important going on, like a birthday party, I don't need to come. And so you will hear people say that they can worship God anytime, however they want, go into the mountains and worship Him. No need to gather. But what we're seeing in His Word is this principle. There is holy time. And when there is holy time, it's a holy convocation in light of God's work. Now, Israel's calendar is different than ours. We have one holy day a week that we set aside in light of Christ's finished work and His resurrection. They had different days. But in Israel's calendar, from Passover to the feast involving fruit, to the Feast of Booze, where they set aside their tent in order to gather joyfully in the presence of God at the final trumpet call. All of that is a picture of our redemption of the Christian life. From being saved from our old life of slavery and sin through the blood of a Passover lamb, 
to bearing fruit for God to the day we set aside our earthly tent at the final trumpet blast to gather in the presence of the Lord where we will be with Him forever. That is what these feasts are laying out for us in types and shadows. That's what we're going to be looking at. And that's what gives us hope. These holy times reveal our holy hope. We're not going to look at uh, the entirety of chapter 23, as I already mentioned. We're just going to look at the first half. We're going to see three holy times that reveal our holy hope. The first is this, the Passover, and tied into that, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or lumped together. Verse 5, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. So the first month for Israel is not January like it is for us. Rather, their first month is called Abib, which would correspond to about our March. And it is their first month as God ordained for it to be back in Exodus. He says, this is the start of your months. This is the start of your time. Because it corresponded to when they were brought out of their old life in Egypt and into a new life with God through the blood of a Passover lamb. And so that's when they celebrate the Passover on the 14th of this first month because that is when God brought them out of their old life in Egypt and into a new life with Him. Now if you remember from the book of Exodus what the Passover is. The Passover was that lamb without blemish that the Israelites would slaughter. And they would take the blood of that lamb without blemish and they would apply it to the, the wood of their doorpost, both vertically and horizontally. And they would stay behind that in their house because God said that when He passes over, or when He passes through with His angel of death, with His judgment, he would pass over them. And why would He pass over them? Well, God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you with My judgment so that My judgment will not fall upon you. God said very specifically there in Exodus, when I see the blood. He did not say, when I see that you're an Israelite and not an Egyptian, then I will pass over you. No, God says, only when I see the blood of a Passover lamb applied to the wood of your doorposts vertically and horizontally, and you don't leave that house because that's your only refuge. That is the only refuge and safety for my judgment. The blood of a Passover lamb. And that was it. God added nothing to that. God did not say, when I see the blood, and I'm also going to look inside to see how well you're obeying me. Are you doing your devotions? Are you living faithfully for me? And that is the basis by which my judgment will not fall upon you. Rather, there's one thing, one thing only, and that was the blood of the Lamb. And they were put their trust in that, and that alone, because that was the only refuge from God's judgment. And of course, this points to the blood of the true Passover Lamb who takes away our sin, the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was Christ's blood that was shed as He was on the wood of the cross and His blood was violently shed for us. That is the only safety there is 
from the wrath of God, from the judgment of God. And we stand behind the cross and place our faith in the blood of Christ that what He did was all that was required to save us from the judgment of God. And there's nothing else that saves us from His judgment but the blood of the Lamb. God says, when I see my Son's blood, I will forever pass over you with my judgment. And we are forever safe because of Christ who drank that cup of damnation dry, leaving us with not one drop for us. And the Passover was not only when they were rescued from the judgment of God, it's also when they were delivered out of their old life of slavery in Egypt. Those two go together. It was through the blood of the Passover lamb that they came out of their old life of slavery and into a new life with God. This reveals that Jesus' death not only saves us from the wrath and judgment of God, it also saves us from our old life of slavery and into a new life with God. And this is why Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, you were ransomed from the futile ways, in your ways, think of behavior, you, will, you, you were ransomed from your futile behavior, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. And this brings us to the feast that is inseparably tied to the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Look at verse 6. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. So on the evening of the 14th day, they slaughtered the Passover lamb, and they ate it. And then the very next day, on the 15th, they started their seven-day observance of eating unleavened bread, which they did for uh, the, the week. And they also removed all the leaven from their homes. So what exactly is this about? Well, Scripture sometimes uses leaven as a symbol for sin. Jesus says in Luke 12.1, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So leaven is used as a metaphor for hypocrisy, for sin and unrighteousness. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? What's he talking about there? Is, is this a cooking book? No, he goes on to say, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's why you're a new lump. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we see when the Apostle Paul takes this feast of unleavened bread, which he ties inseparably to the Passover and talks about it, he sees leaven as a metaphor for sin, for this 
which is an apt metaphor because leaven grows and permeates into everything if it's not checked. And then he takes unleavened bread and says it's a metaphor for sincerity and truth. And that's what this feast of unleavened bread represents. That God's people are new upon the blood of the Passover lamb being shed for them. And the fact the, the fact that they celebrated for seven days a number of completion indicates that they truly are new. That the work is complete in that the Passover lamb has been offered up on their behalf. So this feast, which pictures the work of Christ for us, points to our new identity in Christ. This was the Apostle Paul's conclusion from the feast in 1 Corinthians 5, that that we are a new, unleavened lump in light of Christ, our Passover lamb, being sacrificed for us. And if you're paying careful attention there, when I was reading 1 Corinthians 5 and what Paul was saying, you notice that Paul did not say, clean out the old leaven and then you will be a new lump. Rather, Paul says, because you are a new lump, clean out the old leaven. And why are you a new lump? Well, he says, because Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And so be in practice what you are in identity. Your identity is not based on how well you clean out leaven. Rather, your identity is based on Christ, the Passover land being sacrificed. Therefore, you are a new unleavened lump. Because of that, put away this leaven in practice. Put that to death. Be who you are. And this ties to the second holy time that reveals our holy hope. And that is the Feast of first fruits. Sometimes it goes by the name of Feast of Harvest in Scripture, verses 9-11. through And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall raise the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall raise it. So this is the next holy time or feast on their calendar. This is when the first fruits of their harvest of wheat uh, would come about. It ripened prior to their, their other plants. And so they would begin to gather uh, the, 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 the wheat. Uh, they would begin to harvest it. And so they were to bring a sheaf that is a bundle of wheat and present it before the Lord. Now the English translations say that the priest is to wave it. And you've noticed I've been using a different word there. And that's because uh, this Hebrew word likely refers to elevation, to lifting up, to being raised. It's likely what this Hebrew word refers to. And so the priest was to take this sheep and raise it in honor to the Lord in recognition of Him being the one who provides it. And so this would come with other offerings, a burnt offering and a drink offering, really a whole meal and giving thanks uh, to the Lord. And verse 11 says that this sheep was raised up to the Lord on the day after the Sabbath. 
Now remember when the Sabbath was back then. Sabbath was on the last day of the week. And so the day after that would be the first day of the week. So on the first day of the week, the priest was to take this sheaf of wheat and raise it. The first day of the week, this sheaf of wheat would be raised. And I don't think it's any coincidence that this is the day on which Jesus, whom Paul calls the first fruit, 1 Corinthians 15, was raised from the dead. Jesus even refers to himself as a grain of wheat in John 12, 24. It says a grain of wheat dies, that is, it goes into the ground, and then it's raised and bears much fruit. Jesus, the first fruit, dies, is buried, but then is raised on the day after the Sabbath back then, the first day of the week, resulting in much fruit being born. So here we have, in this text, the resurrection of Christ. And this is the basis for our acceptance. Notice the end of verse 11 again. The end of verse 11 says that this sheep is raised so that you may be accepted. What is the basis for our acceptance before God? The favor, the reception, the warm and full welcome, the smile of God upon us. What is the basis for that? Well, according to this text, it's this first fruit being raised on the first day of the week. And this points to the resurrection of Christ. Him being raised from the grave is the basis for our acceptance. Uh, yes, indeed, Christ's blood, His death alone is what saves us from the judgment of God. Him taking the judgment for us. But if Christ remained in the grave, we would still be in our sins and we would be men most to be pitied. But Christ was raised from the dead because the penalty had been paid in full. No more debt. No more need to continue to pay the penalty by being held in death. Because that penalty had been paid in full and God accepted that, Christ was raised from the dead. And we are accepted on the basis of this work. When you wonder, am I accepted before God? The answer is, has Christ been raised from the dead? Have my sins been paid for in full? As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 4.25, Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And they could not enjoy any of their fruit until this offering, until this sheaf was raised on the first day of the week. Look at verse 14. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain parched or fresh until the same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. And so they could not enjoy any fruit until this first fruit was first raised on the first day of the week. And this points to the resurrection of Christ as the fruit that His, resurrec His resurrection bears in us. We do not enjoy any spiritual fruit until our Lord has been raised from the dead 
our ability to bear fruit, that is to live a life of obedience to God for His glory, to do things for His honor and in service to Him, does not come unless Christ has been raised. If we are united to a, a dead Savior, we have no life. But we are not united to a Savior who died and was buried. We are united to a Savior who was also raised from the dead. And our union with our Savior, who is alive forevermore, is our very Christian life. Why are we no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but alive to God in Christ? Because we are united to Christ who is raised from the dead. And His very resurrected life is our very life as Christians. No longer dead in trespasses and sins. That old man is left buried in the grave. We are new. And we have Christ living in us. We have His resurrection power in us. And that is why we now produce fruit in our lives. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7.4, You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. And so the first fruit, being the first, is guaranteed of more fruit. And that brings us to the third holy time that reveals our holy hope, and that is the Feast of Weeks. Look at verses 15 and 16. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the elevation offering. You shall count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. So from the time they raised up the first fruit, on that first day of the week, they would count off seven Sabbaths, seven weeks, hence why it's called the, the Feast of Weeks. And then the day after the seventh Sabbath, which would be the 50th day from when they raised up that first fruit, that first fruit was raised up, that is when they would present more fruit, or new fruit, to God. In verses 17 through 20 tell them what they are to bring, including many sacrifices. And according to verse 21, this day was also a day of worship and rest, a holy convocation, a day of public worship. So we see a first day of the week Sabbath, which foreshadowed the New Testament. Sabbath here. Now, this day is also referred to the day of Pentecost. Pentecost comes from the word 50 because this feast was held on the 50th day from the first fruit being raised up. Now, do you think it's a coincidence that the day of Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on his church. Was that just the way it happened? Do you think that was intentional? Well, obviously it was intentional from our sovereign God. The reason for God pouring out his Holy Spirit on his people on that day is to tie it to these Old Testament feasts. In fact, it was the feast that foreshadowed that which God intended to do here. Our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on 
the day that the Passover lambs were having their throats slit. Because Jesus is our Passover lamb who shed His blood so that we would be saved from the judgment of God and we would be delivered out of our old life of slavery to sin. And then Jesus was raised from the dead on the day that the priests took that first fruit and raised it up. And then 50 days later, the Holy Spirit is poured out on His people on that very day of, uh, of Pentecost where the people were called to bring their fruit. What does this show us? This shows us that our Lord has saved us. The blood of the Passover Lamb saved us from the judgment of God, saved us from our slavery to sin, that we may bear much fruit to our God by virtue of being united to our risen Lord. Why do you think the Scripture writers in the New Testament choose that term, fruit, to refer to our good deeds and our work? Fruit of the Spirit. It's because it's tied to the resurrection of Christ, the Spirit of Christ in us. And that is why we bear much fruit to God. We are no longer dead slaves of sin, but now sons of God who are now freed up to walk in holiness and obedience. And even verse 22 of our passage reveals this, where God's people are called to give their fruit for the sake of others. We do good deeds for the sake of others. Now, how does this give us hope in the here and now? Well, as you go through various trials, as you go through suffering, you know that it is not God condemning you. It is not God being against you. That it's not a sign that things are hopeless. Rather, if you are in Christ, your suffering, your difficulty, your trials, it's the pruning tools that's cutting away at the dead branches so that you may bear even more fruit. Even though it feels so painful, you don't understand how it can possibly be used for good. And you have many scars and many tears and a heavy spirit. Yet we have God's Word that it is being used for our good. How is it being used for our good? That we may bear more fruit. As Hebrews 12:11 says, for the moment it seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It may feel hopeless because of a difficult marriage, difficult child. You have a lot of deep scars for this, from the sin that has been done to you. You're dwelling in darkness and it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But to know that if Christ has died for you, if He has been raised for you, if you have His Spirit dwelling in you and you have seen some of that fruit, know that everything is used for your good. That you will only bear more fruit. To God, even though it seems hopeless and you have no idea how. But do know, 
that what's more dangerous than any suffering that you experience, even though that suffering is real, and that suffering is hard. That's why it's called suffering. It wouldn't be called that if it was a joyous occasion. But no, that what's even more harmful is that sinful poison in our hearts. That bitterness, that pride, that self-love and self-centeredness. And God is using that suffering that comes into our life to remove all of that that exists in all of us so that we may look more and more like our wonderful Savior. That we may bear more fruit to God so that all suffering that you go through is not wasted by a wise Creator who ordains whatsoever comes to pass, even though men are responsible for their evil, and God will deal with them. Yet God uses that for your good, that you may bear fruit. And that is what gives us hope. And so we were saved from the judgment of God delivered from our old life of slavery to sin, raised with Christ and dwelt with the Spirit, that we may bear much fruit to God, that we would have the resurrection power to put off that old rotten fruit that yields no reward, but instead to put on the new self, that new fruit that's produced because we are united to our resurrected Lord. This is what these holy times convey. And this is our most glorious and holy hope as dearly loved children of our most wise and gracious Father. Amen. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to remember these things, that these things would give us great hope. When we're in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of suffering, and it seems hopeless, and it seems like uh, there's no purpose for this suffering, and we just got to get past the suffering in order to have hope. But in the midst of the suffering, we have hope because it is only your pruning tools being used to shape us that we would bear more fruit. We ask that you would help us to remember these things, and as a result, we would pursue that fruit all the more, putting off that rotten fruit and cultivating that glorious fruit for your name's sake. Because Christ, the first fruit, has been raised. Therefore, we are guaranteed more fruit if He is the first. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.